You're listening to Mastering Retention, presented by UserWise. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's uh, episode of the Mastering Retention podcast. Uh, today, we are joined uh, by Nick Murray. Uh, Nick, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, Tom. Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, my name is Nick. I've been working in games for around 11 years, um, starting out in hardcore PC MMORPGs and then moving to Rovio, where I worked on Angry Birds 2, Angry Birds Epic, and a few other titles. Um, worked briefly at Ubisoft uh, for Tom Clancy's The Division, um, and then moved to Gree, where I was director of Live Ops and Product. Um, so focused on mostly the, the sales and performance of uh, mid-core role-playing games. Um, and then since that time, I've been doing consulting uh, for the last few years. So helping teams improve their KPIs, primarily retention, monetization focus. And I also have a kind of parallel role as uh, head of games for Carry First, which is the biggest games publisher in Africa. Very cool. So have you noticed, you know, doing your consulting works in the last year or so, have there been any trends of things that people are you know, trying to do or trying to optimize or focusing in on? Um, I guess I could speak to it from the angle of what people are mostly requesting from me, which these days is game balancing. Um, game balancing is one of these things that, I mean, anyone who knows me knows that I speak about at length. And <laughs> I've done talks at Pocket Gamer and White Knights and all these kind of things. Um, but yeah, it seems to be one of these areas which is not very fashionable or trendy to talk about people would much rather be hyped about i don't know like hybrid casual and like just kind of more exciting design focused things whereas balancing sounds very dry and boring and a lot of spreadsheets um doesn't need to be that way but that's how it comes across so so why is game balancing so important you know obviously these other things are getting talked about, but people are coming to you to help with game balancing. So, you know, why is game balancing so important? I guess imagine it as like the foundations of building a house. So if you build your house on loose foundations, then no matter how pretty it looks, it's just going to collapse eventually. Um, I guess that's the way that I would see it. So you can think of it in more game terms as well. Like, if you start playing a role-playing game and uh, you are destroying an, every enemy with like one hit and you know everything is just so easy, you're, you're not struggling for any currency at all or any real goal even because you're overpowered from the beginning, that's not interesting, right? Like it's actually quite a boring experience and you're likely to leave. If you take the other extreme where you come in, you're severely underpowered and struggling the whole time and just getting constantly frustrated, then you're also quite likely to leave. There is a kind of niche of people who still will go for the kind of more Dark Souls-like experiences on PC console. <laughs> um, but for mobile gaming with like shorter sessions and generally kind of less... I guess, less combat mechanics overall. That's just not very interesting. Yeah, so, that makes... Yeah, so I was just going to say, finding this like balance of 
like difficulty and also like currencies basically di dictate the difficulty as well right um like if you have a goal of uh, I, I don't know unlocking a new sword for 500 gold like how quickly you get there is really like an important factor in the player journey like if you have it as like one day that might be fine if you have it as five days that's probably too long but you really have to understand the mechanics of the game and the players that you're trying to appeal to yeah when you know thinking about game balancing um do you ever get requests or see people interested in uh kind of changing up the metagame so you know as a couple examples you know league of legends uh, there are a lot of websites that are out there that kind of list, you know, these are the champions that are God tier right now for, you know, each of these different positions and stuff. But over time, as balancing happens, the champions that are there will kind of rotate, you know, from season to season and patch to patch. Um, have you ever seen any of that kind of balancing there? Or another really interesting example, have you ever played Magic the Gathering? About five minutes of it on a PC <laughs> version one time and got a bit lost, so I gave up. <laughs> I, I played kind of casually when I was like 14 or 15 years old, but I uh, never really got too deep into it. But something that I know that they do that is very interesting is every time they release a new kind of card set, they end up introducing a new mechanic that kind of will make the old metagame uh, irrelevant or useless, and they'll kind of rotate out. So you'll have like two years of you know, one metagame being able to work out and then those cards are kind of retired and there's kind of like the new metagame and it kind of continues to, you know, flow in there. And so they're able to kind of balance it and change up the metagame and give users just, you know, something fresh. Because I, I think anytime with games, especially mobile games, like the core loop is kind of going to always be the same. You can't really change that up. So how do you keep it fresh? Um, do you see game balancing as a way that you can kind of change up the metagame so that, you know, in your Clash Royale, people are trying new decks because now they're powerful enough that they make sense to use kind of a thing? Yeah, to some extent. I think you always have the risk of if you decide to suddenly change up the metagame and make certain heroes or certain cards much like less powerful than they used to be, then you really risk annoying people who've invested real money into that, right? Sure. Um, but I guess that's the same with Magic the Gathering and they still manage it. <laughs> um, one thing that I do know about Magic the Gathering is like a bit about the economy just purely because there is a brilliant uh, Planet Money podcast on it called uh, like the Black Lotus. It's all about the kind of the perception of value and how like value is maintained through artificial scarcity and through actually through this uh, like changing of the retention game on a regular basis. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's certainly a strategy you could try in a mobile game, but be prepared to have your head bitten off by the community as well. Um, I think the closest example I can think of is a game that is very dear to my heart, which is um, Marvel Strike Force where there are definitely there is definitely this breakdown of like these are like the god tier heroes and these are the ones who are just kind of okay but if you were to actually change the retention game on that on a regular basis i think people would rage so they kind of get around it by keeping in, keeping it more or less as it is knowing that people will still level up their favorite heroes instead of just the most powerful mm. 
because most people coming to this obviously have some investment in Marvel already and some feeling of like, oh, I don't really care. I love Wolverine. I don't care if he's not the best. <laughs> um, so there is that. And then you add new heroes to the roster and you basically make new heroes consistently more powerful. And you end up with a bit of power creep, but I think people are more forgiving. Have you ever worked in a game where you kind of utilize the audience or the community to kind of let them drive hey, you know, which champions do you guys think are, are too powerful or what are some new mechanics that we should try to introduce with like a new hero or something like that? We've definitely consulted with community in the past on features. Um, so working for Gree, it was something we did um, where we had kind of open voting to some things on Facebook, but we also had almost like a small council of like the most committed players, Mm -hmm. um, particularly from the most active guilds. They were great for running ideas past, but you had to really be precise in your ideas and have everything fully formed. Um, I've always felt like community is a great kind of resource to draw on, but it shouldn't be your first place to look when you're looking for something new Mm. um i tend to favor actually gut feeling because i feel like if you're working on the game if you're playing the game on a regular basis which you should be if you're working on it um (laughs) then like you probably actually have a pretty good idea of what would make a good feature um if you can then like validate that with data and then validate that with your community it's much better than going to your community and saying, hey, guys, you have any ideas of what we should do next? Because they will tend to give you just highly unrealistic objectives that you will <laughs> never match and then you'll disappoint them. That's awesome. So, you know, your point of playing the game regularly, that's something that I've talked about, you know, before as well. And I hear it from a lot of people. But have you ever encountered a game that you're, you know, working on or consulting on that isn't really kind of the game that would be your go-to play So maybe you're really into like a PVP style game and this is like a puzzle based game. That's a little bit more for like a, you know, 30 to 40 year old woman or something like that. Um, And you don't necessarily find it as like your go-to fun. Have you ever had to play a game like that and kind of force yourself to get into it? Or how do you handle something like that so that you can actually get engaged enough to come up with, you know, real viable ideas? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, partly because I have a brilliant answer for it, which is uh, yes, there was one of the first consulting gigs I did um, was actually on a kind of painting by the numbers style game with a unicorn theme, <laughs> only unicorns. <laughs> and, you know, they ranged from very simple, you know, like you have to paint these five colors in to extremely complex and the funny thing is I started playing it thinking, my God, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. I, you know, I, I can help, but maybe I don't need to play this game so much because <laughs> I kind of understand it. But actually I did, I did start getting into it a little bit. I'm ashamed to say. <laughs> <laughs> so generally if you had some advice for, you know, say a game designer that is now assigned a game that they maybe wouldn't have a go to, it's just, you know, play it and try to like appreciate it from the community standpoint of, you know, what do they find fun and how can I actually find this fun to do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to kind of push past the initial resistance that (laughs) might be there. Um, And yeah, I mean, just because you are working on one game also doesn't mean that you should be purely focused on that game. Like by far my best work comes from when I'm obviously playing a game for a client 
like I play their specific game, but it's also when I play a ton of other games that I'm just enjoying at the time because mm. the amount of ideas I get, whether it's within design or live ops or even UI UX stuff, like there is a lot that can be learned just from, you know, playing alongside other titles. Yeah. Do you have any examples of like a, a live ops event or, or something that you've come across and said, oh, this is brilliant and it actually turned out to work? A specific live ops event off the top of my head, not really. I mean, there is a game that that I really appreciate for the amount of stuff they try out in terms of live ops, which is um, Solitaire Tripeaks Journey. Mm. Um, so there are a lot of Tripeaks Solitaire games out there. And this one in particular, um, the publisher is like Me Too Zen. And they seem to have a live ops team that is just prepared to try anything. And it just, it makes me very happy, like having worked in this industry for a long time (laughs) to just see them like applying every learning simultaneously. And, you know, like to give you some examples of what they have running, um, they have like uh, sales, first time buyer offers, loyalty schemes, like a VIP scheme, a -hmm. battle pass. There's a snakes and ladders mini game like oh, uh, shoots and ladders uh, for, for you guys in the US. Um, <laughs> and it's just like all of these different things kind of all feeding into trying to get you to just spend just once, like mm. just once would be enough. And I just, I really admire their persistence and their desire to just try out stuff. I think it's really inspiring. That's really cool. Do you see them kind of learning from, you know, the different failures? Like I always encourage people to, you know, just try things and fail. As long as you're learning from your failures, you can, you know, refine and, and do things better again. But do you see them taking learnings and, you know, applying it again? Or I don't know if you played it long enough to, to see that. I mean, I played it a fair amount, but honestly, it, through the kind of the noise of everything that's happening, it would be difficult to see the <laughs> learnings. I mean, I think they could definitely learn by not having quite so many pop-ups when you log into game because it tends to be, you know, like eight different windows of like, and now you can do this and here's a sale for you. And oh, welcome back. It's been a while. <laughs> and, you know, there's a bit too much. Um, but yeah, I'm still a fan. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Uh, you know, thinking about live ops a little bit, um, something that... I always have kind of wondered, um, how do you know that a live ops event was successful? That's a good question. Um, I guess the balance is really about how it impacts a few things. Like one is how it engages your community. Like do do the players actually play in the event? Um, And you measure that by, you know, checking how many players maybe reached a milestone tier or some kind of reward from the event. Um, and you know, that can all be done in the backend analytics. Um, and then other things would be kind of more qualitative. So actually hearing directly from your community, that was cool event. Thank you. Can we do that again? What's important to, to not underestimate is the impact that events have on the overall month. So typically when it comes to doing live ops planning, Usually in my experience, it happens on a monthly basis. So you have a calendar month planned out mm-hmm. and you basically say, okay, this day to this day, we're going to do this event. If you're running a like high monetizing event, maybe you combine, let's say like a guild war and a sale on, I don't know, hard currency or something, something like that. 
if you were to run that all simultaneously, it might look in cursory inspection of the data like you've had a really successful event because you know lots of people are engaged, you had lots of spenders, maybe people converted, great. But how does it perform in the context of the whole month? Like if you hadn't run that event and you were consistently making like a kind of baseline revenue a day, like is this going to supplement it or is this actually going to just reduce the revenue that you make after the event? Mm. Um, so there's a lot of different ways of kind of slicing up an event and trying to understand if it's if it's been performing well or if it's been useful. Um, but I would say, yeah, like, you know, check the data, check the community and check against your expectations for the overall month. Um, in terms of how you actually look at the event um, kind of in isolation. So if you know that a Guild War is successful because you run it every month, like was this this particular Guild War more successful? Then that's more of a data question. That's going to be more about understanding like how did it perform versus the previous event? Mm. Like what what percentage of the community took part? What percentage of the active guilds took part? Um, how did the different spender buckets perform? Did like, I don't know, 70% of spenders above $50 and below $100 reach the tier that they did last time around? Um, you know, how have players, how have players competed for the top uh, leaderboard rewards as well? Like are the scores overall much higher than they were previously? Are they much lower? And trying to understand why that might be. Usually it comes down to the reward structure you put in place. But um, yeah, like event over event comparison is really key for this. Yeah. So do you think it's pretty important to kind of create and use different segments when looking at, you know, performance across the different groups? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, often there will be some, like some spend segmentation anyway. It depends on the game type, right? Like a lot of games have kind of a larger player base and you aim to monetize them at a low rate mm-hmm. with like a mid-core game. You'd be looking at a smaller player base, but maybe a higher spending small group of players who actually keep the game afloat and VIP spenders, if you want to call them that. Um, but it's important definitely to, I think, divide them up and understand how engaged they are on an event by event basis, because they're the people who you're appealing to. And if they're not spending or if they're not participating, like then you probably have an issue with your event mm. and you might want to change it before it's too late. <laughs> you can always change things like not really after they've started. You can supplement events by adding additional promotions during them. Yeah. But, uh, but at least for the future, you should know what went wrong and how it can be done better. That's awesome. Really good advice. So think about live ops a little bit. Um, what do you think are, you know, two to three of the biggest problems right now that different studios and companies are trying to to solve in relation to live ops? How do I, you know, make it easier to run my game as a service, to automate things, to deliver more personalized offers, you know, what have you? What, what do you think are the, you know, two to three biggest problems you've seen people trying to tackle? I guess there's so much of this depends on the size and resources of the studio, but my main clients tend to be kind of small to mid-sized studios. Um, and a lot of the issues that I see are usually around 
a kind of a lack of resources, particularly with regards to understanding data. Mm. So there are a lot of studios which will, they will be pulling data. They might have, I don't know, Delta DNA or whatever hooked up, but they won't necessarily be actually looking at it for, to understand how things have been going so far. Um, there are certain KPIs that everybody looks at. Um, so, you know, people know their retention usually. People know maybe their ARPU or ARPDAO. Um, and they they will definitely know their revenue. Because um, that tends to be just the most important thing that people focus on. Yeah. Um, but they probably don't really know how their community is actually consuming the content of the game. They probably don't really understand how their events are performing, like we just talked about on an event by event basis. Um, so actually gaining that understanding and helping people to, to see value in like taking a moment after you finished an event and understanding why it was or wasn't successful is really, really important and is often overlooked. Um, in terms of other challenges, yeah, I think there is definitely something to be said around um, like the kind of custom offers or targeted offers towards players. Um, it can feel like quite an overwhelming thing for people to try and integrate because often I think, I think people imagine the ideal state is, yes, everybody has like their personal profile and that person is going to get an offer that no other person is going to get. So it's like the ultimate custom experience, um, which is frankly unrealistic, but it also <laughs> just, it puts people off starting to break people down into groups. And even if you can just say like, okay, these players like PVP more, these players like PVE more, then already you've got like two distinct target groups and you can target your promotions accordingly. Like trying to sell PVE stuff to PVP players doesn't, help that's not going to convert them it's not going to make them spend right yep. so like even if you were to just do it at a very high level and be very basic you would make some ground and like obviously the further you go the more complex it does get but it shouldn't stop people from trying that's great so think about your first point a little bit um you know having a, a lack of or the ability to really dig into uh data related questions are you aware of any sort of like resources or books or tutorials or anything out there that people can kind of refer to and, and use to get a better understanding? Um, to be perfectly honest, not many in terms of the way of like books or tutorials, because this is something I, I largely had to learn on the job. Um, but I will say that there are services out there um, who I work with sometimes who actually can provide the, like basically they provide the analytics um, staff and resources. Basically they do the setup that you might need if you don't have the expertise and don't have maybe the budget to hire the expertise in-house. Mm -hmm. So they take care of creating the dashboards and are reactive to, you know, when you want to understand an event better, like they will provide you the most relevant information and the most relevant insights to do that. Cool. Is that something you do or do you always kind of? Um, it's something I can do. I generally uh, prefer it when there's some other, someone else on site <laughs> doing it because, well, 
I mean, with platforms like, you know, Delta DNA, Firebase, et cetera, it's all fine. Yeah. But when you need to go really granular, ideally you need someone who is capable of SQL. Mm. Um, and mine is quite basic. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, awesome. not for me. <laughs> cool. One other live ops question. If you had a magic wand and you could change anything in relation to live ops, what would you want the most? Hmm. Anything in relation to live ops, I think I would have to choose. I have to choose something based around conversion. Like conversion is my favorite part of live ops, actually, because I feel like there is so much that you can try out in order to just appeal to different players. So I guess it would be probably like targeted conversion focused offers. I think that would be my, my wish for live ops. I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> huh? That's a good one. It's, it's your magic wand. I, I was actually thinking about this the other day. I was watching my wife kind of scroll through Instagram and I hate ads. Like I, I hate them. Um, but like sometimes like she sees ads and she, she finds them delightful on her Instagram. Like Facebook has gotten to the point where the stuff that they're giving, and it's not delightful to me because then she wants to like spend money and buy stuff. So I'm like, what are you doing looking at that? But like they pop up and she's like, oh, like this really resides with me. This is something I want. Like this matches my hobbies and who I am and stuff like that. And I don't think we've gotten there with, uh, you know, mobile games. I don't know if we ever completely can uh, just, you know, given the volume of data and stuff that Facebook has, but you know, the idea of a truly personalized offer at the right moment for the player, like when I'm playing a game and I want to just buy a big old sword and just like smash through some people and then suddenly my sword isn't as good anymore and you hit me with like another offer for an even bigger, better sword and I can keep doing what I want, like that matches how I want to play. Like I, I love that idea of just really personalized, giving each person what they want so they can really enjoy the game that the way that they want to. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing is it's never going to be perfect, right? So oh, yeah. <laughs> the ads, like while you scroll through Instagram, you may hate the ads that you see. And like, and that happens pretty often, um, particularly with me and YouTube these days, actually. But, um, but yeah, like there, there will be, I think the advancement in personalization will definitely continue in mobile games, but it will have to hit a point where like, you, you know, people are irrational and no matter how many of their interests you might appeal to with an ad, if they know it's an ad, they'll still resist against it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there is definitely something there. I, I know with Clash of Clans, I, I think I spent maybe $20 in that game. Um, but I was just, I played it for a long time and I refused to spend. And so I grinded out the, what, like, 1500 gems or whatever to get up to like my fourth builder. And then the fifth one was like 2000 gems. And I think that's when I finally spent the money, but I'd been like engaged for a long time and grinding it through. And I finally had an understanding of what that value was. Um, and this was really before targeted offers or anything like that, but had they actually hit me with one right then, I probably would have been more willing to like spend or, or move forward with it, you know, sooner than later. But I do like the idea that, you know, you can earn everything by not spending. And then, you know, you kind of drip it along to players, not necessarily in a even cadence, but here and there, they get some, you know, hard currency and stuff. So they can spend it or they can accrue it. Um, I think those kind of things work really well too. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Here's a fun one. Do you have any 
cross genre tips and trip tricks. So I know you've done a lot of like mid core stuff. Um, are there any uh, useful things that you've done while you were doing stuff at like Gree or with any of the uh, consulting folks you worked with that you've learned like, hey, this is a very interesting mechanic, say like the, the VIP spender type of mechanic that you could take over to a genre like casual puzzle or casino or, or anything like that where you've, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is, a lot of it's happening already, right? So. I particularly think about something like um, the new Harry Potter match three from Zynga. And I'm not a Harry Potter fan. I just started playing it because it I actually started playing it because it was so well rated in the play store. I think it had like 4.9. And I was thinking that's crazy. Like from thousands of reviews, I have never seen a game like perform at that level and have such high reviews. Um, so I was curious to try it out. And I mean, they do a lot of things about um, like having spells to level up and like making you feel like you're going through the narrative adventure that follows the books. Um, and they also include things like clubs, which then, you know, from that you get to have some like benefits in your core game as well. Um, and I think that there are definitely steps like that where social pressure is going to come become a bigger part of like a casual game experience um there is one mechanic i particularly like um in one of the walking dead games um and it's basically a kind of shared job board um and the the idea is that you and your uh, guild or your clan basically take on this shared job board every week and let's say one of the jobs on it is kill 100 zombies now everybody contributes to that but the person who contributes the most has like their profile like picture like stamped on it when it's completed um and they receive a bonus reward and the idea is that as this board fills up if you don't have one of your stamps on there you probably start feeling a bit of the social pressure like I'm not pulling my weight enough. Like I'm letting my other people down. So I feel like it really makes you want to like get in there and make sure that you're going to be like taking on these tasks and taking it seriously and sometimes spending in order to make sure that that happens. Like social pressure, I think is one of the biggest motivators for spend. And yeah, like I say, I really think that it's going to become a large part of not just mid-core experiences where it's already like doing quite a lot of heavy lifting in terms of spending, but um, also in more casual experiences. So I, I honestly don't think it will be long before we see like match threes with a similar mechanic of like a shared job board for, I don't know, like a kind of guild competition or something like that. Yeah. I actually really like that idea because um, that's a way that you can cater to your different player groups too, because you could have a task that's oriented towards your PVP players, a task for your PVE or your collectors or, you know, whatever other mechanics you have in your game that people like to uh, favor towards. So that's super cool. Absolutely. You can also have tasks that actually are kind of slightly hidden spend tasks, right? So anything where you have like an energy mechanic, if the, if the task is, you know, use up, 10,000 energy then imp like implicitly that's actually something that can be done through spending 
Mm. Like if you're on it from the beginning, maybe you don't need to spend, but actually as the deadline for this list gets closer, maybe you still have a few hundred points to make up. And the only way of doing that is going to be to spend. Yeah. Hmm. Very clever. I love it. So switching gears a little bit to thinking about a uh, team, because I always say, you know, at any company, the people that you have there are kind of your most important asset. A couple things. Um, so one, uh, since you were a director of LiveOps, like what did it look like for you to really um, build up your team or, or what does a great product management team look like? Um, what, what attributes do you look for in, in different people to handle those different aspects? Sure. So basically, to, to take the Gree example, I was managing a team of people who were responsible for largely like creation of the events. Um, mm-hmm. And this can be very costly depending on how your tools have been built. Um, so some companies I've worked with, you know, it takes five minutes to set up like an event. Others, it can take a whole day. Uh, so something to be aware of as well. Um, so at Gree, we had some half decent tools and it meant that, you know, the team was basically divided into certain priorities. Um, so there would be one person who was focused on building the events, another focused on QAing them, um, one who was focused on like actually building the live ops calendar and like monitoring that side of things, like checking sales day on day um, in a more analytical role, I guess. Um, one who is more responsible for community management. Um, usually you can combine a lot of these disciplines into you know, one or two people. Um, one person might be a bit of a stretch because there is quite a lot to do across all this stuff. Um, but you can combine it across a few people. The fact is that we also staffed up a bit in order to cater for multiple languages. So we were also running customer support to a high degree um, across about six different languages, um, which meant that while we still had, you know, customer support tasks to do, they also had a specialty that involved them being more directly linked Mm. to the live game and helping out more on that front, which is also a good synergy to have, right? Like having people who are actually working on the game responding to the tickets. (laughs) really can help because they know exactly what's happening, which is one of the challenges if you go through an outsourced agency for something like that. Yeah, definitely. Thinking about team two, you know, I hear a lot about burnout in the gaming industry. Um, Have you ever encountered that yourself? Do you have any like tips and tricks of how to like run a team in such a way that you can avoid getting to, you know, where you're burning out because you're working six, seven days a week for you know, 12 hours or whatnot, trying to to meet some deadline. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess it's kind of a, like an old cliche, but like I, I prefer to, to work smart rather than work hard. Um, so I, I do not enjoy the idea of working on weekends. I'm like, you know, eight hours a day for me is, is almost too much. Um, so like I prefer to work just, in a kind of in a more structured way and i feel like quite often when you're running a live game it feels like there are you know a hundred different things happening simultaneously and you need to deal with all of them quite often just taking i don't know 20 minutes half an hour and thinking about 
like, okay, what actually needs to be dealt with now? Like, what are my high priority tasks? What can my team support me with on, you know, fulfilling these different objectives and just kind of taking a breather and <laughs> taking a moment to actually prioritize what you need to do is really, really beneficial. So like, I think burnout was probably a much bigger problem for me earlier in my career, but since, since getting a bit more experience and just generally knowing my way around games a bit better, I feel more confident to actually say, you know what, like this doesn't need doing now you can leave it. Like players might be unhappy about, I don't know, not having responded to the community post today, but they'll be fine. They're not going to churn because of that. Mm. They can wait till tomorrow. So yeah, I, I think also, obviously when you push people too hard and particularly if you're leading a team, you know, you don't want your staff to be there for, you know, 10, 12 hours a day. Like it, it's not good for them and it's not good for you because it will catch up with them eventually. So, you know, like having just a bit more kind of calmness and structure to the day mm. tends to help that. That's great. Cool. Well, I think that's the end of my official questions. Is there anything else you'd like to add uh, while we're here today? Off the top of my head, not really. Um, I think we covered a lot of stuff. Um, but obviously, if people would like to find out more about what I do, um, you're more than welcome to, to write to me um, or to you know find me on LinkedIn. It's probably the easiest way. Um, like we talked about a lot of a lot of companies do have issues with uh you know basic kind of building blocks of of game design of live operations um there are resources out there like and there are a lot of podcasts out there like this one so i i think there is a lot of information sometimes it's just difficult to know where to start but if you have any questions definitely like write to me i'd be happy to get in touch and and respond Awesome. That's great. And one last little uh, tip I always ask for, since this is the Mastering Retention Podcast, do you have any uh, little tip or trick that folks can use to improve their retention rates? Um, <laughs> I'm going to sound like a broken record soon. Uh, yeah, like build a strong economy. Um, it's not just about monetization. It's also about retention. And actually, um, something that we didn't touch on but uh which i had in my mind as well is like uh the idea of notifications um so like people think that push notifications will immediately you know create a bump in retention and everything will be great because suddenly your players know when they've got full energy again or when their gacha chest is unlocked um but in order for this to actually be effective you have to have created value you have to know that like when I log in to get my gacha chest, that I'm going to get something that I want, like that, that my motivation for doing this is big enough. If you are just doing it and you're going to give them garbage, then they're probably going to mute the notification from now on. <laughs> and with modern phones, it's very quick and easy to mute notifications. And it's highly unlikely anyone goes back and unmutes them. So there you go. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Well, Nick, thanks so much for this fantastic podcast. I think you already mentioned if folks want to get in contact with you, uh, we'll just put a link to your website and your LinkedIn in the podcast and really appreciate you being on and hope to have you on again sometime soon. That would be great. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye. Bye.